He was running for his life. Scared and alone, didn't know where he was going to go. But he was desperate, tired of being in chains. And so as quick as he could, in the still of the night, he collected what belongings he could take with him for the journey. A journey that he didn't know where he would end up. Knowing that there was more than he could afford, he would grab some money out the door and he would make his way where he would have to pay a fare. And not just one, but multiple fares to get from this community that had become his way of living, his life, and into a new start with new dreams and new hopes and a new vision. He would pay his fare every leg of the way and he would make his way some 1,300 miles from everything that had become normal to him. There he would wander the streets of Rome, longingly looking for identity in search of safety and security, knowing that he could no longer be bound and shackled by his role, by his lot in life, but still feeling bound and shackled because this was the new reality with little by way of provision. And he would make his way. He would make his way past a prison in the heart of Rome. There, he would come in contact with the man Paul. He had heard about Paul. His master had talked about Paul. Paul, this mighty man of faith, this man that had gone on multiple missionary journeys to present this message, this unique word for people. His master, Philemon, had told him about Paul, he had heard about it as this house church was growing in its gatherings. And so he, walking the streets of Rome, would come to the epicenter of criminal activity, where they would house the most egregious of criminals for the the worst offenses you could imagine. And there... In one of the cell blocks was Paul. Paul the apostle. Paul the ambassador of Christ. Paul, one who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who had everything according to the world's standards. He had climbed the proverbial ladder and reached, he had reached the zenith of the journey. And then he forfeited all. Was now in prison. He himself was in chains, but for a very different reason than Onesimus was in chains. You see, Paul was in chains for preaching the gospel. He was in chains for presenting the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. Onesimus would make his way into encounter not only Paul, but through the ministry of Paul there in prison in Rome would encounter Jesus and his life would be changed forever. The trajectory of his life would be changed forever. His identity would be changed forever. And he would grow in stature. And he would grow in his knowledge. And he would grow in his relationships with Paul and with Timothy and with Mark and with Demas and others. Until one day, until one day, Epaphras comes from Colossae with a message for Paul, a message Detailing the works of the church in Colossae. And there, Epaphras would be taken captive. He would be arrested for the same presentation of the gospel. And now he is a cellmate with the Apostle Paul. Onesimus is wrought with fear because the chains that once held him in bondage, the shackles that once kept him, seemed but a distant thought or a memory, were now right in front of him again because Epaphras... This leader in the church in Colossae was friends with Onesimus' slave owner, Philemon. And he's forced to deal with his past. He's forced to reckon with the chains, the bondage. Riddled with fear, riddled with doubt, riddled with questions and concerns. He must 
spend time with Paul, rationalizing and trying to realize what this what this means for him. What if, what if Epaphras leaves prison and he goes back to Colossae? It only makes sense. That's where he's from. That's where he's leading the church alongside the charge with Philemon. And what if he tells Philemon that, that he knows where I am? If I'm captured, I'll be taken back to Colossae. And there Philemon can do what he wants with me. It was custom and culture and context in Rome at that time to make a point to make a disciplinary point, to make a big point of anybody who would, who would try to, to, to flee slavery in favor of freedom. They set a precedent early and often, and it was extreme. They would publicly ridicule them. They would whip them. They would shame them, and they would even kill them. Philemon must, must know that he's gone, and, and in his anger, I, I can only imagine what Onesimus is, is drumming up in his own mind, and now here Epaphras is, and he's faced with the realization that if Epaphras leaves, Philemon will know where he's at. And he goes to the apostle Paul, and he cries out about the bondage that he's in. He cries out about the chains that have kept him captive for so long. And Paul, with the help of Timothy, will write a letter to Philemon and to Philemon's wife, Apphia, and to their son, Archippus, who's also a leader in the church. And he will intend that this letter be read to the entire church for the glorifying of God and the edifying of the body. And there, Onesimus waits, along with Paul and Epaphras in chains, as this letter is delivered, Philemon receives this letter. And as he cracks open the seal, and he begins to read for himself, he reads in this letter Paul's deep affection and appreciation for the work that he has done because Philemon's faith has been reported all over the world and it continues to be reported. People are excited about the work and the word of God in the local church and they are leaving Colossae with this 1,300-mile trek in mind and they are going to the Apostle Paul. They're bound in chains, shackled by the steel of the world and they are telling him about the work They're telling him about the the, the way of Philemon, that his faith in Jesus and his love for all of God's people is making a tremendous impact. It's a seismic shift for their context. It's a seismic shift for their community. And as he reads this, he's encouraged. His heart is strengthened as he reads that this testimony is true of Philemon, that the work he's doing isn't in vain, but it's being reported that it's making an impact. There's a difference being had and then, and then as he reads on and he reads this letter to his wife, Apphia, and his son and to the church, he reads these beautiful prayers that the Apostle Paul is interceding on Philemon's behalf. I pray that God will use you and that he will encourage you and that he will raise you up and that you will do all the more with the generosity that God has given you. And here this rich landowner who had opened his home up for the church to begin Here's the transition as he reads this letter. He says, I I have something I need to ask you. I could demand it because of my position as an apostle in Jesus. I could tell you that it's it's necessary because it's the right thing to do because Jesus, Jesus not only demonstrated it, but he commanded it. But I would rather ask you out of love, the kind of love that gives without expectation, a radical, generous kind of love. And you, Philemon, are a generous, radical kind of man. I would ask you, based on the premise of our love, that I am a father of faith to you, would you please, please do this thing for me? Would you receive Onesimus, your slave, no longer as one held captive and bound and shackled by chains, but as a brother in Christ? your co-worker, your fellow soldier. Together, you guys can do so much more in advancing the kingdom. He was useless to you before, Philemon, because he was little more than a slave to you. But now, now, Philemon, Onesimus is a brother in Christ, and he, too, is an ambassador for the greatest message the world will ever know. But the only thing that is keeping Philemon 
from rearresting, recapturing Onesimus, this slave, is this word that we will read today from the Apostle Paul. It's a reminder. It's a reminder how this one rich, successful farmer, though free according to the standards of the world, was bound and shackled by the sin of his life and how through Paul's ministry, he was set free. And now, now on the basis of faith and faith alone, Paul leans into Philemon and he says, Philemon, remember, remember your faith. Remember your transition. Remember that you were once bound and shackled by the sins of this world and that you were saved through the ministry of reconciliation as a byproduct of the work of Jesus through our ministry. Remember, hearken to that, hold tight to that because as you receive Onesimus, receive him on the grounds of grace. When you live in grace, when you operate out of grace, you can then receive others in grace and with grace. But apart from God's grace, there will never be grace. I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. And turn to the book of Philemon. If you don't have a Bible, I want to ask you to raise your hand this morning and allow one of my friends to bring you a Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll bring you a Bible. It's a gift. It's yours to have and to keep. Philemon is about seven-eighths of the way through your Bible. If you go just a little more than halfway, you'll see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you'll hit Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you run into a bunch of ones and twos. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then Philemon. If you hit Hebrews or James, you've gone too far. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter in prison, A.D. 60 to A.D. 62, after his third missionary journey, where he has gone throughout the region of Asia Minor. And he has begun to plant churches and raise up leaders and pour himself into others. The Apostle Paul is now in prison again. The Apostle Paul is now being held in shackles, bound again because of his presentation of the gospel. And he says up front, I, Paul, a prisoner in chains and a prisoner for the gospel. He realizes that being a prisoner in chains is out of his control, but being a prisoner for the gospel is it's a conscious decision. And he chooses that if he's going to be a slave to anyone or anything, that he's going to be a slave to Christ. And he writes this letter to Philemon and to his wife and son in the church. He writes it alongside Timothy, who is one of the early mentees, one who has accepted Jesus along Paul's ministry. Timothy is a secretary. He's taking notes. He's writing word for word, verbatim, what the Apostle Paul is giving him. He's just transcribing what's being said. And today we're going to finish up in the book of Philemon in the series that we've been in three weeks now called Beyond Borders, where we've been investigating how our culture and context today is really good at establishing borders that separates people. We focus more on what separates us than on who unites us and how we need to overcome those borders. The first week we talked about bigger than boundaries, and last week we talked about critical community. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and to watch week one and to watch week two because they're both critical In the line of messages is today we finish up with week three, a message that I have entitled Vicarious Atonement. Vicarious Atonement. And Father, I submit this time to you. And I submit my expectations to you. And I ask that you would go before me now. And that as your word goes out, that it will not return void. I pray that it become active and alive in us and through us. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be received as a gift, holy and pleasing to you. And today, I pray today would be the day that chains would be broken forever. And it's in your power, your powerful name, that I pray and that I submit myself. Amen. Beginning in verse 17. The Apostle Paul, on the heels of asking this radical, ridiculous favor of Philemon to change his perspective of how he sees Onesimus, and in verse 16 he says, he's no longer like a slave to you, he's more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And we talked last week about how what we get to do as Christians 
We won't make a difference until we're defined by who we get to love as Christians. And the Apostle Paul is asking Philemon to radically love Onesimus, this man who has done egregious things to him. If you look at verse 17 now, here is the nature of this consideration. He says, so... Paul to Philemon, if you consider me your partner, and that word partner in the original language is koinonia, which is fellowship or it's common unity, there's common ground. If you consider that you and I are one in the same and that we share in likeness, is what he's asking there or what he's suggesting there. If you consider me, Paul, your partner, I want you to welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. This is a matter of proxy, The Apostle Paul is sending Onesimus to Philemon as though he were himself the ambassador amongst that community. Paul is held back from his desire, and you'll see that in a moment, this desire to be there. But he is held back from being able to go and be because he's been chained by the structures and the infrastructure of this world. And because he is not free, according to the standards of humanity and the judicial system, because he, Paul, is not free to go to Colossae and to give this letter to Philemon and to the church in Colossae himself, he sends none other than Onesimus, one who had come from Colossae, who is now a fugitive slave on the run. And what does he say about Onesimus? He says, Onesimus is there by proxy. In other words, I grant him all authority. I grant him the same favor that you would show me. And the very nature of the relationship that you and I share is how I want you to receive this man. He left you a slave and now he comes to you by proxy as though I am there with you. This bears repeating because of the significance. Onesimus, can you imagine The fear, the trepidation, the disconcerting nature of what he is about to do that he gets on the same voyage, journey, ship, trek back to the place that he ran to escape these chains that held him in bondage. But he comes not as his own, but as Paul. He represents someone and something greater than he The Apostle Paul says, please, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And in verse 18, he gives some specific instructions now about the nature of their relationship, specifically some offenses. In verse 18, he is going to talk about chains. The word chains isn't mentioned, but it is clear that these are things that held him in bondage. Verse 18, Paul says to Philemon, if he, Onesimus, if he's wronged you in any way, Well, of course he's wronged him. Philemon either paid for his services or he was brought up in that house and his family chose to be there. However you look at it, Onesimus belonged to him. He had papers. He had rights to this man. He relied on this man for whatever work he would give him to do. There were rights for Philemon and responsibilities on Onesimus. And he's been wronged because Onesimus has fled captivity. He is on the run. Of course he's wronged him. He's abandoned him. And it wasn't uncommon for slaves and their owners to build a bond, to build a relationship. Where at the end of their commitment, or if they were able, able, ever able to, to pay their, 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 their portion of freedom, it wasn't entirely uncommon for that slave to choose to stay. And in a very public manner, would become a, an indentured servant, a committed, a committed slave where he and his family were free, but he chose to stay there. And this man in an egregious act, Onesimus fled from Philemon. He ran away. So he says, if he's wronged you in any way, well, of course he's wronged you. And here's how, here's how we pick up that not only has Onesimus fled, but he is likely stolen. He has robbed Philemon on his way out of town. Because he says, if he's wronged you in any way, or if he owes you anything, charge it to me. 
charge it to me. How else would Onesimus be able to make this trek? How could he afford this voyage? How could he afford to pay the toll? It's obvious as you read that he stole. Not only did he flee, but he steals from Philemon. And as the Apostle Paul sends Onesimus back to this man who has the authority and the right to have him arrested, beaten, and even murdered, Paul takes on himself a burden that doesn't belong to him. And it's laughable, really, when you think about it in context. Philemon is a wealthy landowner. He doesn't need money. It's the personal attack on his family, on his community. It's not about the money. It's laughable that Paul, who's in chains, a prisoner who is dependent on others and their good graces to care for his physical needs, that the apostle Paul says, that burden doesn't belong to me, but I'll take it on my own. In other words, that burden is no longer Onesimus's. That burden belongs to me. I will take it. Charge it to me. Charge it to me. Because Onesimus doesn't have the resources to pay you back. He cannot make up for the lost time that he has taken from you by fleeing from you. He doesn't have the fiscal resources to to pay back multiple times over, three times, seven times more than what he took from you in a very public display of forgiveness. He can't afford to pay you back. So because he can't afford to pay you back, charge me. Put it on my tab. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Then he says here, in verse 19, Paul, Paul becomes very personal in this moment. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. It's not just possible, it's likely that the Apostle Paul is bound and shackled and unable to write, and so Timothy is acting as a secretary dictating what the Apostle Paul is sharing with him and writing it down on this scroll. But in this moment, when he makes a commitment to do what could not otherwise be done, it is important enough for the Apostle Paul, with his hands shackled, to reach over and to grab the stylus and to write with his own hands the commitment, the covenant, the guarantee That he will be the guarantor for this debt that is owed. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will pay it. I will pay it. He doesn't just commit once. He reiterates a second time the nature of his commitment that he will do for Onesimus what cannot otherwise be done. And then he goes on to remind Philemon of his own debt that could not be paid. Paul says, I write this with my own hand and I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Riddle me this, Riddler. (laughs) By suggesting that he won't mention what he just mentioned... Has he mentioned it or am I missing something? This is one of those suggestions that we give our kids or that we get from our wives. But what Paul is doing here isn't playing to the guilt. He's not even playing to a greater responsibility. What he's doing is he's reminding Philemon that during Paul's ministry... There came a point where the Apostle Paul is in the region of Asia Minor, Galilee. He comes across these, this, this community near Laodicea and Pisidia. And there is this community, Colossae, and that Philemon must come to him through, through the word of mouth or through his public ministry and gives his life to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, on the nature of debt and indebtedness, reminds this wealthy man who wants for nothing this side of heaven, that there has been a debt paid for him that he could never afford. That there was a tab 
of eternity picked up in his place that he couldn't have paid for. That because of the nature and the work of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, because of the the final atonement, the once and for all, for all work of Jesus Christ, that Philemon's debt, which could not be paid any other way, was paid in full. The apostle Paul, he, 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 he declares out loud and he pushes into Philemon, not out of guilt, but to say, look here, remember, remember your debts, that you've carried debt that was too great for you to pay off, and remember that you gave your life to Jesus, and now you have eternity. So keep that in mind as you've experienced the fullness of the grace of God. Be gracious as you extend grace to Onesimus, and I will pay for his debt. I will pick up the tab. I will do what cannot be done because Onesimus is not able to do it. But I will do it in his place. It's a burden that I will bear for him. In verse 20, in verse 20, he does it again. The apostle Paul uses a noun as a descriptor to clarify and give depth to their relationship and the thing that they share is common bond in Christ. Yes, my brother My brother, my brother in arms, my brother in the faith, my brother in Christ, my co-worker, my my fellow soldier, my son in the faith, and now my brother. My brother denotes that they're in this together, that this is a kind of love. We talked about it last week. If you were here, the four different types of love mentioned in Scripture to bring clarity to the word, and we talked about one of those four being phileo, That what he mentioned last week where giving grace was concerned was an agape kind of love. But here now he mentions a phileo kind of love. The kind of love that says, look, I give, you give. I walk, you walk. There's a yoke that's that's mounted to both of our necks and we're carrying this burden together. He says, yes, my brother, we're in this together. Please, please do me this favor. And then he leans into the Lord, do me this favor, not because you owe me anything and not because you feel good about it, but do me this favor for whose sake? Church, that was not rhetorical. For whose sake? The Lord's sake. When we grant grace, it is not just about us or the other individual. It is in favor of our faith and for the Lord's sake. Do you hear that? When we grant grace to those who otherwise do not deserve our grace, let us be reminded that we do not deserve his grace, yet he radically and unconditionally pours out his grace. Therefore, for the Lord's sake, let us do what we are incapable of doing ourselves on our own. There are people in this world that we would struggle giving grace to. There are people that have abused you. There are people that have hurt you. There are people that have misrepresented you. There are people that have taken from you. There are people that have, that have abandoned you. There are people who have done some of the most egregious things the world has ever seen to you. And without the Lord's sake or for the Lord's sake, you are utterly incapable of giving the kind of grace that they need. And in order for us to give the kind of grace that they need, let us remember that we receive the kind of grace that we don't deserve from Jesus and him alone. That's the only way that we can give grace where grace otherwise isn't deserved. Philemon is sitting here reading this. Onesimus has delivered this letter to him, this man that he could have bound, whipped, shackled, and killed. And he's reading this letter, and he's reminded of the kind of grace that only God can give. And the apostle Paul says, do me this favor. As you make your decision, remember that it's not just for my sake or your sake or even Onesimus' sake, but what you do is for the Lord's sake. I want to remind you just a couple of weeks ago that my friend Kevin Barnhill gave one of the most unbelievable, incredible messages. It was on money, but it was so much more than that. He talked about what keeps us from giving isn't a math problem, it's a heart problem. And I would argue that what keeps us from giving is that we don't understand the giver that we don't identify the giver, that we don't give right attribution to the giver. Because if we remember that he's the one who gives all and sustains all, then we should be radically generous to give to the one who gives all and in the name of the one who gives all. That's right. The Apostle Paul writes on the nature of grace and he says, please, my brother, 
Please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. And then he says something unique that you're not going to pick up in the New Living Translation, so I'm going to actually reference a literal translation. In Bibles, there are three primary versions of Bibles that are written, literal, dynamic, and paraphrased. Literal would be what you get from word for word, and outside of the original languages, the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin, the Vulgate, you get translations like the King James Version or the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Bible. And then you have, you have dynamic versions like the New Living Translation or the New International Version. And then you have paraphrased versions like the Message. Sometimes, sometimes there are descriptions given in dynamic versions that don't quite capture the essence of what's really written. And so I want to share with you from the English Standard Version what this says here. He says, give me this encouragement in Christ. The second half of verse 20. Give me this encouragement in Christ. What he means in the original language, what it reads is, refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. The word heart that he uses here is used 11 times in the New Testament. But it's a very different literal meaning than what we get in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, where after Jesus gives this instruction to those who asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That word there is cardia, cardia, which is an intellectual, it's, it's a love, it's a heart of mind, will, and emotion. It's a commitment of mind, will, and emotion. It's not based on physical nature, it's based on the, the spiritual nature, mind, will, and emotions, the, the cardia. The word that we read here is really hard to pronounce. If you, if you read it in the original language, in our, in, in our use of the English language, it reads S-P-O-N-G-C-H-N-O-N. Spanach. It's a visceral heart. And the word literally means heart, kidney, liver, and lungs. It's a visceral heart. It's the internal organs. And it represents everything in us that sustains life, that gives us life. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that if you receive Onesimus, on the grounds of grace for the Lord's sake, what he's saying here is that it will literally refresh me physically in a way that I can't even articulate. It is deep within. Do any of you ever have those moments where you're just riddled with goosebumps from the top of your head to the very bottom of your feet, where you're moved to emotions, where, where something that happens around you and maybe to you has a physical manifestation in you? There are things that happen where your heart begins to palpitate, where it skips a beat or it adds a beat, where the rhythm of your heart, the, the, electric, the electric rhythm of your heart gets thrown off just a little bit. It has an internal effect on you. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you will show this radical generosity, this kind of grace that I'm asking you to share, it will do something to me that I can't even put into words. It will affect me in every part of my life. In every part of my life, not just this mind, will, and emotions, but it will have a physical impact on my life if you will demonstrate this kind of grace. I can imagine that when Corey Tinboom is finished giving her presentation of the gospel on forgiveness, and this jailer who had abused her and who had held her captive comes to the front of the stage, and he says, Fraulein, you don't know who I am. And immediately at the sound of his voice, she recognizes who this jailer is, and he asks forgiveness, and she weeps and gives her forgiveness because of the grace of God and in the Lord's sake, or for the Lord's sake, that she has overcome physically at this intentional decision to forgive this man. How many of us have been physically impacted by an intellectual decision to forgive someone? The inverse of that is that we are physiologically and psychologically impacted when we hang on to the bitterness and anger. It creates in us a stress which elevates all kinds of chemicals in our body 
And it impacts our sleep and it impacts our eating and it impacts our, our thinking and it impacts our mood and it impacts our relationships. When you hang on, when you allow yourself to be held in bondage to the things of this world, it has a physical manifestation in your body. And so friends, I want to tell you this morning that when you give yourself entirely over to God, and when you choose grace in the name of the Lord and for his sake, you will not only experience an intellectual and a spiritual freedom, you will begin to experience a physical freedom. Give me this encouragement in Christ. Refresh my heart. Verse 21. May this be true of you and me. He says, I am confident because he knows the character of Philemon, because he knows the generosity of Philemon, because he knows the consistency of Philemon. Because of those things, I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. You're going to continue to be radically generous and you're going to be continually to be radically gracious and you're going to continue to lead the church from the front and from the middle and from the back. And then he says in verse 22, one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me. This was a point of pride in antiquity where we would be able to extend good graces and, and, and open our homes up to others that they intentionally looked for opportunities to serve those around them. And he, he reminds him, one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me. In other words, be prepared for me to come and visit. Let this be a reminder to us that we need to prepare our hearts and our homes for people to be received into our lives. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Here's another precedent for interceding on behalf of one another. He is saying, I pray that God answers your prayer and that I will be freed from these chains so that I'll be able to see you again. May that be true of us that we intercede on behalf of others and that they are encouraged by our prayers and that they say, in kind, I hope that your prayers are answered. Who are you praying for? Last week, I asked who your hero in the faith was, and I asked who you were being a hero to or who you were mentoring. Let me ask you today, who are you praying for? Who are you preparing to receive in your home? Who are you preparing to receive in your heart? Who are you actively and intentionally building critical community with so that they will come to know Christ through you and your life? And then he says here, Epaphras, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my co-workers. And then he finishes out with a typical Pauline benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He mentions to Philemon that his co-worker in Christ, who is a leader in the local church, and you can read it in Colossians 1, 7 and Colossians 4, 12, you can read about this man, Epaphras, and his leadership in the local church. But now he's in chains because of the gospel. Jackson, I need you to come here, big man. I need you to come here this morning. College has been good to you, man. <laughs> Holy buckets. I don't know what they feed you in Colorado. Make sure they know you're corn-fed when you go there. Good Lord. This is my friend Jackson Lorenz. I have had the privilege of um, having Jackson in my life the last three years. I've had the privilege of pouring into his life and him into my life for two of those three years. And I knew Jackson was coming home, and I, I asked him if he'd be stupid and, I mean, willing to uh, help me with something. And Jackson said, okay. Actually, truth be told, he didn't answer my call. Because his dad told him up front what I was up to. And so I texted him and said, I'll find you. I asked Jackson to help us understand what's happening here. And Jackson's a great representation. Because statistically, did you know? Jackson, did you know that 98% of high school seniors that graduate, 98% that go off to college, walk away from their faith 98% because of the temptations of the world alcohol pornography sex drugs and you're in Colorado it's really easy to get it there in search of their own identity trying to forge their own way maybe initially it's unknowing but over time they willingly become captive to the things of this world. And so, Jackson, I want you to put your wrists together in representation of how this happens. 
that before you know it, you're distracted and you're in conversation. Good Lord, your wrists are big. (laughs) And you get pulled in and before you know it, you're shackled to the things of this world. Can you get your hands out of there? You're shackled to the things of this world and and you initially, you start to feel the weight of the world. You notice something's different, but you don't pay attention to it at first. But then you try to, you try to shake off the chains, and you can't shake them off. And then you begin to try to pull at them and work your way out of the chains that you get yourself into. You become bondage to the things of this world. And then you try, even while still in chains, you try to run away. And as you're running, you're getting pulled back. And not only as you try to run are you getting pulled back, but you're getting pulled closer and closer to the thing that you're in bondage to and further and further away from the freedom that you desire. You're being pulled around, and before long, you're literally being led around by the things that bind you and that shackle you. You're no longer free. You're a prisoner in chains. You're a prisoner to alcohol. You're a prisoner to to drugs. You're a prisoner to, to shame and to guilt. You're a prisoner to the things of this world that, that tie you down and hold you back. And then chasing from one empty well to the next, looking for an answer to the chains that bind you. You're looking for the key that will unlock the padlock that, that holds these chains together. And you see the key, it's presented to you. But even if, even if you begin to get your hands on the keys, Jackson, unlock that padlock. Even if you get your hands on the keys, the answer to your freedom, until you, until you submit, until you identify that, that you're in bondage, that you're being controlled by the things of this world, you will never know freedom because this is a kind of bondage that you can't free yourself from. It requires a kind of grace that you can't give. It requires a kind of grace that you can't get on your own. And instead of being yanked around by the standards of this world and pulled in every direction, a shadow of yourself, there has to come a point where like the Apostle Paul who sends Onesimus back, he sends him back to Philemon and he says, charge it to me. I'll pay his debt. Whatever he owes, he can't pay it. He can't undo it. He can't outdo it. He can't can't do enough to get rid of it. Whatever he owes, Paul says, charge it to me. I've got this. And in that action, in that word, in that grace, he reaches down with the keys to freedom and he unlocks the chains that bind this prisoner and sets him free. Sets him free. And now there's freedom. There's a new life. But it begins with identifying two things. Number one, that you're living in bondage, that you're living shackled and chained to the things of this world. And number two, that even if you identify the key, you can't do enough, you can't be good enough, but God is enough. And it means declaring to God, you are enough and all that I am and all that I have is yours. Take it from me. Free me from these chains that bind me, these shackles that hold me back. Friends, this is called vicarious atonement. Where Jackson was able to experience freedom in a way that he could never experience on his own. And that's what Jesus does for us. This is the most powerful presentation of the gospel message in the entire Bible, and it doesn't even preach the gospel. It's just lived out. Amen. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey these things. Here, Paul, he does a brilliant job of teaching the gospel in, in, in Ephesians and in Colossians and Philippians and, and to, the, to the churches, uh, to the leaders, to Timothy and to Titus and, and, and to Paul. Uh, like, like, like he, he does a brilliant job of teaching, but here he demonstrated by his actions. It's not enough to, to, to just teach the gospel. We are called to live it out. The apostle Paul, who's been freed from the bondage and the chains that have bound him, has experienced the freedom because of the grace of God. He reminds, uh, he reminds Philemon of the freedom that he's experienced because of the grace of God and now he is sending Onesimus and he is asking he is charging that anything that this man owes be forgiven because of the grace of God 
Jackson, thank you. And my question, my question to you, what are the chains that are binding you this morning that are holding you back and keeping you captive from the freedom that God gives you, not will give you, it's already been given. It's yours for the taking. You can't do it enough and you can't be it enough. You just have to ask for the grace of God to free you. And he promises that you will be freed because the Bible says that those who have been set free are what? Those who have been set free are what? If you're free indeed, then stop walking around like you're living your life in shackles. Be free from pornography. Be free from alcoholism. Be free from substance abuse. Be free from abusive relationships. Be free from the love of money. Be free from the brokenness of religion. Be free from your own emotions, your own guilt and your own baggage constantly reminding you you'll never be good enough. Be free from those and live in the freedom that comes from Christ alone. He has got the keys. He has got the keys to your freedom and he wants to unlock. He wants to unlock that freedom in your life. For somebody this morning, you're here. You're here because somebody invited you. And you're living a kind of captivity where you have been chasing around trying to figure this thing out on your own. You've never given your life to Jesus because you've been doing it on your own. And secretly, you, you've got these chains. Maybe the world doesn't know, but, but you know the burden that you're carrying. You know how heavy these chains are, and you're tired of it. You realize you can't do it on your own. So let God do what only he can do and give your life to him entirely today. Let him break the chains that bind you. Vicarious atonement that Jesus can do and has done and will do for you what you cannot do on your own. Onesimus couldn't pay off the debt. And Paul says, charge it to me. Andrew Anderson cannot pay off the debt of sin. And Jesus Christ says, charge it to me. You cannot pay for the debt of your sins. And Jesus says, charge it to me. Where Paul said, I write this with my own hand, Jesus says, I demonstrate this with my own life, my own blood. Charge it to me. Would you stand? Would you stand, each one of you, throughout the room? Those of you in the room and those of you who are watching online this morning, two questions for you this morning. Two questions for you this morning. First, for those of you who know and love Jesus, what chains, what chains have you been unlocked from but you still carry around with you? Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's giving the grace of God to someone else. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe you've been living in an extramarital affair. I don't know what it is, but what have you been carrying around with you that you have not let go of, that you need to give God today, that you need to give entirely to God to say, God, I can't pay for it. And I know you're ready to take the bill. What do you need to give to God today? Still for others, you've never given your life to Jesus, and today is the day, the day of reckoning where you can say, all that I am and all that I have is yours. Broken, shackled, bound, it's all yours. And Jesus says, yep, I'll take it. I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your work that you gave what could not otherwise be given, that you've done what otherwise couldn't be done. Thank you for Paul who is obedient to your word, to your will, and to your way, and for this tremendous example of the gospel lived out, preached through lifestyle. And I pray that that would be true of us. May we demonstrate the grace of God because of the Lord's sake. May we know fully the price paid for us today. May we accept fully 
the price paid for us today. May we live in entirely the price paid for us today. I pray today for every man, woman, and child here in this room or watching online or that will watch again later this week or in the days to come that have been carrying around this, these chains that have bound them to the things of the world. May they be loosed and freed today in Jesus' name. May they know complete freedom as they fully surrender their life to you. And then I have to ask this morning, if you are here in this room and you would say, Pastor, I have never known freedom in Jesus. I have never given my life to God. I have tried everything else in this world. I have gone from one empty well and one cheap imitation to the next. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. And today, I want to give my life to God. I'm done living in bondage. I'm done living in shackles. I'm done living in chains. Today, I fully surrender my life, all of my life, to the grace of God. I take the key that he offers, and I ask him to, 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 to break loose these chains that bind me, and I give my life to Jesus. If that's you, church, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to today, I want to challenge you. I want to implore you so that I can pray with you and pray with you and pray with you and celebrate with you. If you are here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, you're done doing it your way and you want freedom in Christ, I simply ask you to raise your hand unapologetically, raise it high so I can pray for you. Praise God, I see that hand. Amen, brother, I see that hand. Praise God, I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? For those of you that raised your hand, I simply invite you to agree with me in this prayer. For those of you that have given your life to Jesus, when you say amen, let it be a reminder like the Apostle Paul reminds Philemon of his freedom. Let this prayer be a reminder of your freedom. Would you pray this with me? Father, I acknowledge that I am broken and I am bound in these chains, that I am hopeless without you. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you did for me what I cannot do for myself, that you gave your life for me. And today I receive the gift that you give. I receive the gift of new life. I believe in you. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent. I turn. I'm done. Take them. Take these chains off of me. Unbind these things. Loose my heart. Loose my life. Loose, Loose my mind. Loose my body from the things that have held me captive. And lead me to live for you. Holy Spirit, fill me and move in me and through me. And I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus and him alone, who has the power to save. In Jesus' name we pray. And the whole church erupted and said, Amen. Amen.